Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. By now, it seems that we are very deep into the era of I guess what people are referring to as the tech lash in which companies that started out as mostly revered and praised are being criticized for all sorts of wrongs. In some ways, I think this was a very necessary corrective to the initial coverage of most of the tech and internet industry where certain companies could do absolutely no wrong and were praised for absolutely everything. Uh, but in many ways, the tech lash could also go too far. And we've covered that on a number of podcasts and certainly on Tech Dirt as well. And so I think there's a, a really tricky balance in looking at the very real problems of the digital era and sorting out which of those are simply shining a light on larger societal issues, which are then exposed by the technology, which of the issues are actually caused by the digital platforms and which have nothing to do with any of it but are still blamed on, on these new platforms. You know, the reality is almost certainly that there's a mix of all three of these things, but they often get conflated. And then on the flip side, I think it's also still really important to recognize why some of these services are so successful in the first place and that they really enabled incredible services, giving tons of people what I would call superpowers that they might not have ever been able to achieve without the internet or these particular services. The ability for some random nobody to create powerful content and share it with all the world is still something that I think of as an amazing feat worth celebrating. There's a new documentary called The YouTube Effect by Alex Winter, which is now out on a variety of streaming platforms, and I think uh, is trying to bridge the gap between all of those things, looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly in a single documentary, specifically about the rise of YouTube, how it empowered some people to have a voice, and eventually the realization that some of those voices uh, might lead others to harm and create other kinds of problems. Now, there have been some other documentaries exploring similar themes, uh, such as The Social Dilemma, which I thought was a horribly misleading and grossly manipulative documentary. Uh, I think the YouTube effect is a much more balanced uh, and thoughtful uh, approach, though I do have some concerns with it. Uh, Alex Winter is, of course, a very well-known director, writer, and actor. And while most people uh, start off with uh, his bio on some of his acting roles. You can find those on your own. I am more interested in the fact that uh, he has now built out an amazing, I guess, second career as a documentary filmmaker, uh, covering a variety of topics, including many that are of interest to the Tector crowd, including documentaries about the rise and fall of Napster, about cryptocurrency, about the dark web, and much else. And now has this, the YouTube effect, uh, I think he's found a, a real kind of sweet spot in talking about disruptive technologies that feature both the benefits, sometimes potential, sometimes actually realized, and the risks, again, sometimes potential and sometimes actually realized, of these disruptive technologies. The YouTube effect seems to straddle that line as well. Um, 
though, as I said, I have a few potential questions about it and issues. And Alex specifically told me that he does not want me to hold back <laughs> with tough questions in this interview. So I think that we are going to have a very fun discussion today. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's really great to be here. And uh, yeah, I've been, been a fan, as you know, for a very long time. So uh it's uh, nice to be chit-chatting on the on the podcast finally. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think it's a it's a fun discussion because it's a, it's a really interesting topic, and I enjoyed the documentary very much. I think it's very well done. Um, you're you obviously you know know what you're doing <laughs> in putting together these kinds of documentaries, but I think it it really does take a, a kind of you know special eye and a special understanding of technology, you know to to in order to put something like this together. And and my sense in in watching this and I've seen, you know, some of your other documentaries as well is that you approach these in, you know, recognizing that kind of balance that these technologies are disruptive and that they have the potential for both both sides of things, you know, often together. Some really, really good and amazing things, breakthroughs that weren't possible before, but also some really, really challenging and problematic outcomes. And, you know, you're sort of trying to to highlight both of those. Is that is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it that is how I come at these things philosophically. Um you know, I, I'm sort of more than a tech agnostic. Uh, you know, I came up really early on online, uh, you know, going back to the, the mid 80s, BBS Usenet era, pre-web, and uh, was a very kind of robust user of those communities um, at that time and found them uh, largely, if not almost entirely positive, even though all of the seeds of what happened uh, today could have been found there. And I know, you know, all this stuff like, but, you know, showing up in the mid eighties on a, on a Usenet uh, channel and finding, you know, everything, you know, all the alt rec channels and all of <laughs> yes. the, the sort of the extremely vibrant discourse <laughs> and craziness and anger yeah. and radical, you know, players, some of whom are still on the internet yes. in a very big way. And when I made the Silk Road movie and I was actually on the Silk Road, itself um and sort of plugged into that community i was finding all kinds of people from 20 years earlier that i knew from that era um so you know this is a community that i that i have a very personal investment in um and and i take the negatives uh very seriously and have tried to be pretty quick in my own thinking to abandon um either false negatives or uh, kind of hyperbolic reactions to technology, uh, kind of, you know, red scare, satanic panic, <laughs> almost like reefer madness right, <laughs> kind right. of, um, <laughs> response. Um, so, yeah, with this movie, two things happen, though, because you, you can't totally control where a doc goes. That's part of what I like doing, why I like doing them, because they tend to be about people. Right. And so I, I do come at them with a, with a, with I think a genuinely balanced approach in terms of I do, you know, like, Having Susan Wojcicki in the movie, I like Susan Wojcicki. She's, yeah. you know, someone I have respect for. It's not I'm not like hiding in the bushes waiting to pounce. You know, <laughs> um, uh, but by the same token, once I assemble a cast of characters, they often tell you a lot about what's going on, and you sort of follow that group of people. Um, and the movie is largely about the core group of people who are in the film. Right. Right. Yeah. And and it's an interesting. Interesting collection of folks. One one thing that did strike me about this 
documentary is compared to some of your previous ones, you know, the, the earlier documentaries, you know, specifically, obviously the tech related documentaries, you know, were always about things that to some extent were, you know, on the fringes a little bit, right? I mean, not, not totally, but, you know, Napster and cryptocurrency and certainly Silk Road um, felt a little more on the fringes. This, you know, YouTube is, is about as mainstream as you can get at this point. Um, and so was that, was that a different experience for you in, in terms of that aspect of it? It was, and it also felt, you know, the producer Gail Ann Hurd came to me and asked me if I would collaborate on this with her. And I'd been studying YouTube and Google for a while. I mean, certainly pretty vigorously post the 2016 election. Um, and uh, it felt that if I was going to do another tech doc right now, that I really needed to look at what had gone from the fringes to the mainstream. Mm. And what's interesting about YouTube, and you said this yourself at the beginning of this, of, of you know, this talk is it's everything, right? right? So the fringes are on YouTube too. Yes. And, <laughs> and not just the fringes of the alt-right, not just the stuff that gets talked about all the time, but, but all the fringes of the internet are there. Yeah. A lot of really great positive fringes of the internet are there. And oftentimes they find each other, which, I mean, we see happen um, in this film actually with, with Caleb Kane who I would argue was sort of on the fringes of, of the kind of alt-right world who got um, sort of helped out of that by Natalie Wynn and ContraPoints, which began as a fringe channel and grew uh, over time to become more of a mainstream channel, but is still a countercultural channel. So uh, I think that, you know, YouTube isn't, as you know, just cat videos and, and, and Mr. Beast, right? It's, it's kind of everything. Um, so I didn't feel entirely like I was jumping into a purely – prevailing narrative conversation. And a lot of my interest in these issues is looking at the counter narratives within them. Um, and it's also what I find to be the most interesting thing about them a lot of the time. So um, that was kind of a way in, I'd say, mm -hmm. initially was the evolution, what got us from the alt rec, you know, right. world of Usenet to the, the community that we have there today. And what does that mean that it shifted into the mainstream? And I think that's what led me ultimately um, to looking uh, or sort of focusing more on on what I viewed as as, the, as negative repercussions. Um, because in a way, I'm not that I have a thesis because I really don't, but in a way, it was sort of an, an unavoidable to examine how you know that shift, how things became more mainstream, also made them more problematic, and and the way in which that's kind of unavoidable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's that is interesting. One of the things that struck me while watching the film was um, this thought occurred to me, and and maybe this is ridiculous, but but as I was watching it, I began to wonder: Is this really a documentary about YouTube, or is it actually a documentary about influencer culture, or is it a documentary about algorithms, or you know, is it some combination? of all of that? It's a combination, but I would say it is mostly looking at a business model. Mm -hmm. I think it's mostly looking at uh, a kind of a post rabbit hole, post algorithmic world where the influencers are really your creative, your content creative front end. 
So it's inescapable that you'd be looking at that culture. So that is a very important piece of it because in a way that's what's being monetized right. by the business model. Um, you know, whether it's Natalie Wynn or Steven Crowder or Ryan and Ryan's toys, all of which represent three very different sort of ecosystems <laughs> yes. on YouTube that are huge. Yes. Right. Um, so it, it, that's why I selected, you know, the, the people that I did other, uh, you know, it was for a reason. And, uh, but the thing that, that had been kind of irking me for a little bit, you and I have talked about this offline and it gets into the AI and a lot of other things that are going on now was I felt, I learned more as I made the film, but I felt bothered by how much focus there was on the algorithm in the public narrative, given that the public, the average layperson doesn't know what an algorithm is really, right. other than in this very fuzzy, um, often um, inaccurate way, just sort of the same with, you know, AI and GAI and all these terms that get thrown around, most of which the average person doesn't know anything about. So I was kind of exploring what YouTube's power was if it wasn't algorithmic and um, <clears throat> or it wasn't just algorithmic, because obviously I wouldn't sit here and tell you that algorithms don't factor because obviously right. they do. But um, and that really was about a business model and and, you know, shackling a kind of a Byzantine business. model. not that I'm saying it's a bad business model because it does work right. An ad based business model, um, while very old. Uh, it does work. It does monetize. Sure. Right? But once you once you put that together with the scale, which is unprecedented that YouTube has is 4.6 billion views a day. Um, and then the parasocial power or even to sound less, you know, erudite uh, or, or academic, just the video, you know, the power of the visual medium. Right. Um, once those three things came together, I think that was the lightning in a bottle that made YouTube both the great platform that it is today that I use all day, every single day. And so do my kids. Um, and also one that could be potentially harmful. And, you know, again, back to your point at the top, harmful in a way that would be singular to that type of technology and not just, Hey, here we are in society. Um, and you know, all these things are going on and this is just a window into it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, there's one thing and, and you get at this a little bit in the documentary, but not, not that much. Um, and I, w I was wondering going into the documentary, if you were going to go down this road, because it's, it's one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot regarding YouTube, which is that, you know, when, and again, you do touch on this a little bit, but, but, you know, when Google bought YouTube, um, I remember actually the day that they bought YouTube, I was having lunch with uh, a friend. This is actually funny because it ties back to what you were saying. A friend of mine that I met in the early 90s on Usenet <laughs> and, and had stayed in touch with and, and uh, is still a, a good friend um, who happens to work at Google. And we were having lunch that day uh, and I can still picture sitting in this restaurant, which no longer exists. This is you know a long time ago. And saying, what the, what the hell is Google doing paying $1.65 billion for YouTube? Are they crazy? Yeah. Like, how is this ever going to make sense? And, you know, for a long time after uh, Google bought YouTube, I mean, the general consensus was that it was a very stupid decision. It was way overpriced Absolutely. and that there was yeah. no way in hell they were ever going to make money. 
Whereas yeah, they like, were lambasted yeah. for it in a in the business tech world, they were absolutely lambasted. For, the headlines were infinite for years. I mean, you know, certainly yeah. when the deal yeah. happened, but then for years afterwards, people were highlighting that yeah. it was never going to make any money. And and yet yeah. nowadays people forget that and they they sort of look at YouTube as this like massive cash cow for for Google. Um, yes, and and I wonder how much that impacts things, right? You know, Google was certainly certainly came under pressure to turn mm -hmm. YouTube from a drain on resources into a, a revenue generator. And I wonder yeah. how much that, you know, you know, how much of this is just like wall street screaming at them all the time that, that led them down some of the roads that they went down. Yeah. It's interesting that you put it that way. And, and honestly, I think, I think we do really track this because I think that at the end of the day, my film is really a tech business story. Yeah. Um, it's really about business and it's really about, the business of creating platforms on this scale for the first time in history. And that's one of the reasons I have so much respect for Susan. It's like, who the hell knew? Yeah. Right. And you have to credit her um, with uh, a kind of a profound degree of acumen because I do think, I don't think that she, you know, was this all seeing visionary genius who, who could see every component of where YouTube was going to grow to become what it is today, which is, an almost undefinably large thing. It is a media conglomerate and it's news and it's search and it's social media and it's all of, uh, you know, the repository of all of human history that's been recorded in one place, which is, which nothing else does but that. And then it's owned by Google, which has more data than anyone else. So um, I do, but I do think that she had the vision to see what some of its capabilities were. And I think that there was a kind of a personal intent to prove herself for the guys, you know, Chad and, and Steve primarily, mm -hmm. uh, Chad Hurley and Steve Chen to prove themselves, um, for Google uh, to sort of fundamentally prove itself in terms of being a player in this kind of space uh, at a time, as you know, when a lot of people were going down. Yes. Or people that you thought were going to be the people were about to no longer be the people like Yahoo, like right. Netscape, like, you know, so much of the internet was shifting and you think about Apple um, at that time, and you think about sort of Apple in the post Napster world, uh, and where they, and where Jobs was at that time, sort of having to prove himself, yeah. right? And so it was a very, very um, kind of fungible moment in the history of, of the, the tech companies and the internet, and a lot of them had a lot to prove. And it's interesting because you could really make either a book or a movie about the kind of race between Jobs and Google and Microsoft, yeah. And sort of, and how that changed the history of the planet, because each one of them, in their own way, took an ownership of the future. And um, you know, you have no Apple building, no giant sort of Death Star-looking building up there without Napster and and you know, music sharing and what led to the iPhone and what led to broadband and everything else. So, I do think that it's a business story what we're telling in the sense that. Uh, the tail wagged the dog. They had to become profitable. The, the, it was a new world. We, nobody was sure where things were going to land, who was going to own the eyeballs. It was a race for eyeballs. Uh, they created a business model that they knew would work. They were very, in my opinion, they didn't do it perfectly, but they were very forward-thinking and, and equitable in terms of how they allowed creators to monetize. There was huge incentive right. to get on YouTube. I mean, Smosh, I mean, those guys were, were important for me to get because they were teenagers living in you know in like middle to lower class sacramento 
who started earning real money um, really early, like really early on YouTube. And so you could make a living and it had a future, but it also created a kind of a Frankenstein's monster and that that growth <laughs> became something that whether you were a creator or you were Google slash YouTube, you had to keep going. You yeah. had to keep growing and growing. And I think that led to some of the inabilities to curtail the harms that have happened now. Um, and look, I mean, I'm not going to jump ahead of your thought process, but you know how I feel about content moderation yeah. and these issues, right? We talked about them a million times and I know how hard they are. And I, and I know how fragile, you know, you'll never hear me sort of talking about breaking section 230 apart. Um, though I, you know, try to listen to people smarter than me who say there's a way to do it. Right. I've yet to hear, I've yet to hear one that I think actually works. So you know, I don't think these things are easy, but I do think a runaway train was kind of created, um, especially once a company goes public and their shareholders and there are other people involved in making decisions about profits that just become kind of wildly, unimaginably huge. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and it's interesting. And we'll get to the Section 230 discussion for people listening. Don't worry. It's coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you and I kind of agree here. So it may be kind of a, of a, uh, yeah, a partisan thing but yeah i mean i i i have there were a couple concerns i had about with even how that discussion was presented in the documentary but again like i i you know i go deep in the weeds on these things and 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 every (laughs) you know sentence and comma and word choice matters yeah Um, and i'm trying to speak to a lot of people who will never have heard those words before of course and i'm trying to present present in a fairly short span of time the debate to the degree that I think it's a debate, right? Yeah. Um, well, okay. So let, let's, let's talk a little bit about it. I mean, so, you know, you, you definitely do talk about section two thirty in, in the film and um, you, you show certainly some examples of, you know, problematic content, um, very, very problematic content being on YouTube and the challenges of dealing with that. Um, and so like one example which always comes around to section 230 is like the story of Andy Parker. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've written about Andy before and Andy has, has shown up in lots of stories. There was a big 60 minute story about him a year or two ago. Um, And, you know, the Andy Parker story is, is tragic in, in any way you look at it, which is that, you know, his daughter who was a newscaster was um, shot and killed on air uh, while doing a broadcast um, by a former colleague. Um, And it's horrific in all sorts of ways. And it made lots of news. And the video of that was on YouTube and continually popped up on YouTube. And Parker... And still is, yeah. Yeah, Parker really wanted it down for very, very obvious reasons. Um, My issue with his particular story is kind of like the way it's framed... For, for a variety of reasons. And part of it is that the way that he first sought to get it taken down, I think he got, I would say, poor legal advice, um, mm-hmm. which he's really completely, you know, bet on, which is that he 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 started using the DMCA as, as an attempt to take it down, but he doesn't he didn't, doesn't own the copyright to that film. And That's therefore right. it's, it's an abuse of the DMCA in particular. That's right. And yeah. like, 
you know, this is a, a very tricky situation. Obviously, you can feel bad for him and recognize that, you know, this video really should not be easily readily available for all sorts of reasons. Um, though there are some reasons why there may be for historical reasons or archival reasons why some people should have access to that video. But but his use of copyright, I think, was problematic from the beginning. And for very, very understandable reasons, when Google said, you don't own the copyright to this, so you can't file a DMCA notice, he's conflated that with sort of, you know, YouTube not caring about his his issue or his story. And then somehow Section 230 got wrapped into to all of it as well, <laughs> which, you know, DMCA takedowns and Section 230 are two separate things. Section 230 has a very clear, like, we have nothing to do with IP. If your question is IP, that's taken care of elsewhere. Um, and then on top of that, the fact is, and, and this was revealed, this was my problem with the 60 minute story about Andy Parker from however long ago it was. They go on like, the first, I don't even know how long it is, but you know, the first two thirds of it are talking about YouTube is horrible and they won't take down this video, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then like two thirds of the way down the thing, 60 minutes finally explains like, well, actually like now YouTube has a relationship with Andy Parker and they, when he sends stuff and he's like, you know, either started or part of this organization that regularly communicates with YouTube about problematic content and they sort of consider them sort of trusted flaggers. So they pay even more attention to the content that Andy and his organization are flagging. And to me, that actually shows like one of the benefits of section 230 in that YouTube, because of Section 230, YouTube is free to have those conversations, to find people that they trust, and then to continually remove this kind of content without worry of facing liability. Um, and yet, Andy is still very, very angry at YouTube. And again, like, I, I can't, there's no way to imagine what he's going through and what he has gone yeah, through. The videos are all still on the platform. Yeah. Yes. Not, not all. Right. I mean, this is the thing like YouTube but, is but actually the primary, but there are many, 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 many. It, it, do, it does come back on. Yes. But yeah. like YouTube, you know, and he's admitted that YouTube is actually fairly responsive when he flags videos for them, that they are taking them down. Um, no, well, that's, that's, not that's what he said so in the 60 know. minutes interview. So okay, that's not, if you talk to him today, that he will okay. not tell you that. Okay. Okay. Well, so there was so a point at which they were they they were. Right. So, but then the yeah. other the other underlying point related to two thirty is okay. Let's say there wasn't a section two thirty. What what is his legal basis for like he he seems to think that if you changed or got rid of section two thirty, that will would somehow improve the the situation. And I don't think that's true at all. In fact, I think it would make it worse. So one, then it becomes trickier. Anytime YouTube does anything, they're they're creating potential liability for for themselves. And so it actually, there's a very good chance that they would take more of a hands-off approach. But then the other thing is, you know, sort of the implication behind this and the implication that a lot of people have when they say remove Section 230 is that it would give him a basis on which to sue YouTube for that video. And I even if, even if you did not have Section two hundred and thirty, I don't know what cause of action he has. Yeah, I think that that the thing you have to understand um, is that 
what we're doing with the film sure. isn't fighting Andy's battle. Right? Uh, yes. No, I understand that. Yeah. So, so, so the, and I don't want to, and I know you're not asking me to do this, but I wouldn't want to, it's sort of like a magician showing their, how their tricks are done. <laughs> I don't want to explain sort of why the film is structured the way yeah, it yeah. is in terms of like hearing Andy's story and then leading to 230 and then getting to a debate that basically invalidates a lot of the arguments against, yeah. um, against 230. So all I can tell you is that, you know, just cause we're speaking, you know, candidly, Andy's story, there's, a, there's almost like a difference between why Andy's story is important in my doc and why Andy's story is important to me. But I would say to me, um, it isn't a 230 related issue at all. Right. Um, you know how I feel about copyright um, being used to, to try to fix you know, things for individuals. That's yeah. not what copyright was designed for. And it doesn't tend to do that. It tends to do the opposite of that. And I'm dealing with this in my industry right now in terms of how we deal with AI. Right. Um, uh, you know, you pick up a weapon that was that was built to protect industry. It's most likely going to protect industry, <laughs> right? Yes, um, and continue to protect industry when all is said and done. And um, so, I no, I don't think to me what I what we're illustrating um, that meant something to me emotionally was something I do feel quite strongly about, which is that uh, we're and it's kind of why I wanted to make the film. Now we're kind of at an inflection point where. We're sort of beyond solutions, which is a great time to make a doc. It can make yeah. docs very frustrating. We did the same thing with the with the you know I was why I was interested in the deep web story, right? Um, the story of Ross Ulbricht and the yeah. Dead Pirate Roberts because because it was thorny as hell because it wasn't clear cut and it did represent kind of a a, a shift or a, a cultural touch point where sure you know proliferate drugs on the internet maybe not such a great idea. Um, but how are we going about policing that and how are we dealing with the internet in general and what comes out of the woodwork, um, you know, claiming it's to save the children and help the children. It's really just about creating censorship and, and a less free and open internet. Um, these are really complicated issues yes. and I do not view the YouTube situation as any less complicated. In fact, I think in many ways it's far more and it speaks to some some seemingly paradoxical or unsolvable problems we have today, which is, and you've talked about this at length, and I've really enjoyed your writing on this, like including the you know the the protocols or platforms mm -hmm. debate, right? Like here we are with ostensibly what you could now call the largest TV channel on the planet, even though it's obviously not exactly what it is, right? And yet it has no standards of practices, right? It has no regulation, um, and so you know. Uh, you can see why someone like Andy Parker is confounded. Yes. Right. Like, but yes. it makes no sense. Right. My daughter was assassinated. You know, it's all over your channel. You won't take it down. Like, I don't understand. And right. you feel for him. And yet you step into this, this, you know, kind of hornet's nest of complexity. Yes. That doesn't have an immediate easy answer. So to me, Andy's story is great because it's a conundrum. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, and I I think that's I think that's fair. I I'm I, I'm not entirely sure that fully comes through. I I, I worry sometimes that it does for some people, yeah, but yeah, but yeah. yeah. I yeah, I'm very sensitive to these things yeah. as you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then you know, yeah. you know, I mean, I had someone who watched the movie and like yelled at me for an hour about how I could not want to, you know, immediately dismantle section 230. So, right, right. Well, somebody got it. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I, 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 I get it. Um, and then, so, you know, there, there is some more discussion in there. You have Carrie Goldberg, obviously, who's, who's been fighting legal battles and, um, you know, has explicitly said that her goal is to destroy Section 230. Um, she doesn't say that in the film, I don't think, but she said that elsewhere. Um, and so you talk a little bit about, you know, she has this, this view of the law that, that, she believes, I mean, while she wants to kill Section 230, she also has this, this general belief that she can get around Section 230 with products liability law. Um, and there have been a bunch of those cases filed, some by her, some by some others. Um, there have been a few limited successes and a fair number of failures as well. And so I think the law is still sorting itself out on that front. Um I think again that you know perhaps you know she and 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 you know she th- this is the way she always presents it is a little misguided in terms of the you know how product liability law would work uh or or whether or not it works I mean we just had this case which I don't know she had I don't know if she had brought this case or she's definitely brought similar cases against Amazon um where and I I don't know if you followed this case at all uh specifically it's again like another situation with a very tragic story where some teenagers um you know took their own lives uh using some chemicals that they purchased off of Amazon and there, yeah. there was this product liability theory that said we can get around Section 230, um, and the court rejected it. And I thought the court's discussion of it was really interesting because it it discussed it in two separate parts, and the first having nothing to do with Section 230 and basically did an analysis of what would happen if you didn't have Section 230 and basically said for there to be a product liability issue, there has to be something wrong with the product. And mm-hmm. this product, this particular chemical, there was nothing wrong with the product. It's just that if you ingested it, you were likely to to die. Uh, and Amazon accurately stated that. The issue was that that was what people wanted to do, um, which is tragic in its own way. And there's lots of questions about how do we deal with, with that? How do we deal with depression? How do we deal with mental health questions? Um, but, you know, what the court said is like, you can't blame Amazon. Amazon didn't do anything that was directly problematic. They didn't lie about the product. They didn't say it was safe to ingest when it wasn't. You know, all of those might give rise to product liability. Um, And so, you know, this idea that if you were to remove Section 230, that suddenly these, these platforms, whether it's YouTube or Amazon, would suddenly become, you know, liable because of bad things that happened you know, somehow connected to those platforms, I I think is a really hard sell and will be a really hard sell in court unless there's some like real direct involvement. And so it feels to me in the same way that as you and I have discussed for a long time, that like copyright becomes this obsession of people in the wrong way that isn't the right tool, that 230 has become this this weird sort of, you know, talisman you know that hyper focus yeah that that people are obsessed with 230 as if that is the 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 main issue and i feel like you know to some extent the documentary played into that a little bit 
Um, and, and I recognize that like you then have Susan give sort of the YouTube response in terms of like why section 230 is important. Um, and I think she did a perfectly acceptable, reasonable job, except a little bit, it comes off as like, you know, I'm the YouTube CEO and I am going to give the kind of corporate, uh, answer. Yeah. So we have a few people in there talking about, about 230 is imp- the importance of 230 yes. is protective. And I mean, Brianna has a really good run on yes. that about the the fragility of that of the protections yes. that we get from that. So no, I mean, I mean, I I think I think it it is. I, I you know, I am just naturally like as I said, overly sensitive yeah, I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> on, on on anything that that sort of like gives rise, yeah. you know, and like to some extent, and maybe I'm I'm scarred from like the social dilemma. Which and it's unfair for for me to to like compare your documentary to the social dilemma, but like the social dilemma got a tremendous amount of attention, and I think was just a absolutely terrible like, you know, unlike your documentary, did not show any level of balance. Like it had a very very clear story it wanted to tell, and then did so in an incredibly manipulative way, which I found somewhat ironic because the whole point of the social dilemma is that social media is trying to manipulate you with false and misleading information. And then it creates a documentary that was full of false and misleading information designed to manipulate you. Um, And also, I mean, the other part of it was like, you know, they're talking about social media and the algorithm and they never mentioned the fact that Netflix was really like the originator of the like super powerful AI recommendation algorithm. Uh, yeah. And algorithms, as I've said, are, you know, they're, they're just, it's just, you know, infrastructure for these yes. systems. It's not the thing that causes problems. It's, it's an infrastructure that, it, that has a specific purpose. And if your incentive for building that algorithm, which is why in fairness to YouTube, they, they did a lot of successful work on the on the recommender algorithm. Yeah, uh, which is why I don't like talking about rabbit holing anymore. I don't know <laughs> if you if I mentioned this to you, but when I shot Caleb Kane, uh-huh. uh, we filmed we shot him at the Watergate Hotel, just you know to be cheeky. Right. And uh, uh, the very first thing I did with him, which I didn't really want to put in the movie, I was just curious to see it for my own edification, was I was like, let's see if you can get rabbit rabbit holed now, right? Huh. Like in in twenty nineteen twenty twenty. And because the recommender algorithm, recommender algorithm had been, you know, worked on significantly yes. since they had been criticized, and um, and he couldn't, and he knew that he knew that he couldn't, right. he didn't have any illusions. He's very smart. He was knows how YouTube works, and there was no, you know, no matter what he went on, nothing sent him down anything radical. Nothing sort of presented him with anything radical, and it really just underscored my own belief that it's it's you know we get caught up in this kind of you know reefer madness phobias around a lot of these technologies. And what it prevents us from doing is having the, the presence of mind to see ways forward yes. to make them better. Yeah, and that's I think if, to the degree that I have a thesis, that's what it is. I think that that you know these these platforms you and I've discussed this. They, I've got three boys. They've all come up on YouTube. Yeah, I've never pulled them off platform. They've none of them have gotten black pilled. They're all and they're not because they've got their dad. You can be damn sure they <laughs> are doing their their surfing in private. And not with me over their shoulder because they're boys and they're teens. But right. um, you know, it has it has almost entirely been a net positive for them. Yeah. And you know, or a net neutral, just like when I you know watched eight hours of Abbott and Costello when I was a kid. <laughs> it can be that yep. they can sit and zone out on on crap. Yep. But um, you know, they have not been adversely affected by these platforms, and most of their friends have not been adversely yes. uh, impacted by these platforms. So. 
while I do think that the, the business model of, of attaching ad revenue to eyeballs, which can be funded by, I mean, it's not obviously all of it. We get into this. It can be funded by dark money operatives yep. with a very specific political agenda yep. that is fueling all kinds of stuff that can get somebody hurt potentially. It is a business model issue, and yep. we have to be able to look at the positives of these things and the nuance of these things, or there's no way we're going to be moving towards any kind of solution. And you know how I feel about this. We're years out from oh, coming yeah. around to any solution. Yeah. Years. Yeah. And, 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 and I completely agree with that. The, the, uh, I actually think it would have been really interesting if you had had that in the documentary, the part about trying to get him to, to go down the rabbit hole again, because like, I mean, you do again have Susan talking about how like that's not it's not good for the business model to 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 you know make people you know create problematic people, uh, and yeah. so. But you know what didn't come across to me um, was the fact that you know that that things have changed. You know that YouTube really has changed a lot, and there have been stories about this, and and there have been studies on the algorithm where you know in 2017 maybe the algorithm was driving people towards certain types of content, whereas by 2020 it's not. You know it, it they've really yeah. really worked on that in in important ways. And again, you know part of part because I see everything through the 230 lens. You know part of what I'm thinking is like. You know, 230 allows them to adjust the algorithms and to figure out what's going wrong and to make these changes. You know, if you didn't have 230, you would have lawsuits over every algorithm change because somebody would claim that it's it's driving them to, to something worse or problematic. Yeah. And I just think that you and I, this is the issue with copyright. Yeah. My, my biggest fear with tampering with 230 um, simply is that you will end up empowering the people whom you are attempting exactly. to protect yourselves from. That is the problem. Yes. It, it is It is not the Googles of the world that will be suffering right. when there's liability coming at everybody right. from every conceivable direction. It is all of the, the smaller um, sites. It's all of the – it's exactly who we want to protect. It's people trying to get abortion rights information out onto the net. It's the right. LGBTQ community. It's, it's people in foreign countries. It's small mom-and-pop websites – you know, we think Amazon did a bad job of killing the the bookstore. Like we would do that to the internet, yeah. basically. Yeah. And all we would be left with is the big three or four, and that would be that. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, that's that is a huge concern. You know, I mean, the big companies. You know, Google has a building full of lawyers. They might have two buildings full yeah. of lawyers, for all I know. You know, they don't want to deal with these lawsuits, but they could. Um, whereas anyone else, you know. You know that that becomes a, a real issue. You know, you don't get into it that much in, in the documentary, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts on like the competition question in terms of you know YouTube is obviously such a huge player in this space. There are some other video platforms out there, um, but none that have have caught on in the same way, or at least for the same use, right? You know, you have like Twitch for streaming and stuff, but. Um, yeah. Do, do you have? Yeah, any, I thought about it. Because, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on it. The uh, uh, you know there was a lot of chit chat about TikTok around the time sure. we were making the film, but I'm I'm really interested in scale, and it doesn't mean that that's a, because I'm so smart and that's the most important issue. It's just what I'm interested in, right. and I'm interested in it because uh, for me that's why Napster was was worth making a movie about. I wasn't particularly interested in the 
the you know the music file sharing right. even when I was on Napster that wasn't even what was so mind blowing about Napster was what was mind blowing about Napster was the scale was that you in the age of dial up had a hundred million people online at once through a central database it's like it's mind boggling to anyone who understands the tech technological aspects of that and the cultural aspects because there had just been nothing vaguely like it and that's what gave Napster its power was its scale and that's what scared the hell out of the record industry so. To me, it's hard for me to get too caught up in the TikToks and, and other kind of video competitors because they just don't even approach the same level of scale and they don't have a Google behind them. Right. Um, and my guess is that they will come and go or they will morph into other things. Um, but the, the harnessing of Google's power with that amount of eyeballs, with that level of profit, um, and also to be fair to YouTube – um, it's an ex- just the expansive variety of what it offers, yeah. which is so much more than what you know, it's basically. If you look at all of the competitors, it's all of those competitors com- combined into one thing, yeah. which no one else comes close to. And and that was something I really wanted to convey because you do there's a lot of misunderstanding about what YouTube actually even is, yeah. which is why in the conversations around social media platforms or around internet harms or on business models gone awry, YouTube is often not mentioned at all because yes. it's so giant and so ubiquitous and so multifaceted people forget about it. Yeah. I mean, there've been references to like the, the, you know, the magic wand that YouTube must have that, that, you know, Facebook and Twitter uh, and, you know, Instagram and TikTok get raked over the coals repeatedly. And somehow YouTube just skates, skates by. Yeah. I don't think it's all lobbying power. I mean, I think it's partly lobbying power. You know, Google's got deeper pockets. Like you said, they've got more liars than anyone else, but it isn't just lobbying power. It's, it's narrative. Yeah. And narratives are really important. And I think that, that there isn't a narrative in which YouTube is really understood or even defined in the way um, that it should be in terms of its influence. And then I think we have all of these extremely destructive counter narratives going on, like it's the algorithm or right. the sort of reefer madness kind of paranoia or, you know, everything's out to kill us um, that just clouds the the ecosystem. And I mean, I know you fight this all day long and like, I know it frustrates you. It's always frustrated <laughs> me and, and I'm, I don't do this for a living, right. but you know, it, it makes me crazy um, how counterproductive almost all the writing and, and talking is around technology. Yeah. It's almost all exactly the opposite of what's going on. And the solutions are almost all always the opposite of what we need to be doing. <laughs> right. Um, and so when you talk to the average person, they're just like, oh, well, YouTube is the devil or, <laughs> you know, oh, you know, I don't let my kids get on their iPad. I'm like, well, I bet they're doing it when you go to bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good luck. Or, or they're just going to hate you. Right. Because uh, that's where they're, that's where their entire community is. Yeah. Um, so I think we have a lot of work to do societally to get our heads around what's actually going on before we start making these communities better. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think there, there is definitely something to that. I do wonder also if, if because for like, as compared to most social media, for most users of YouTube, it is a more passive experience where you're watching, you're not creating, you might be commenting, but um, you know, there are obviously millions of, of, of people creating videos for YouTube, but most people are watching it as compared to like a Facebook or an Instagram or a Twitter where, yeah. you know, you're more likely to, to participate. Um, 
And I wonder if that gives it something of a different feel as as well. Yeah, I don't really think of YouTube as a social media yeah. platform, which is what it's constantly lumped lumped into. It's it is it's a community to the degree that you can leave things in comments, which is kind of where the social media part. That's what happened with Gamergate. A lot of right. this stuff was being done, as you know, well know, in the comments yes. section. And um, but you know, again, being old enough to remember like really early databases that had co- the beginning of the toilet bowl of the comments section, <laughs> yes. right? Um, which eventually went into like IMDb and sort of other big right. and ain't it cool and like all these other phenomenons um, where you just kind of knew not to wade into the comments section right. of any of these platforms. But but generally, YouTube ex- is exactly right. YouTube is really about a parasocial relationship between a content creator and an end user. Right. That is really that is really what it does, and that's really where its power is. And that's to be fair to Google in a positive way. I think that's why they uh, were adamant about monetizing it the way that they did. And because they could have just said, like TikTok does, well, that's not our problem that you're uploading. You're not right. going to get paid for it. Right. But they didn't do that. They they recognized from the very, very beginning, like back to the Smosh days of 06, 07, the first year of purchase, right. that they needed to actually make these people partners to a degree. And um, so I think a lot of that has contributed to its that uh, to its power and to its scale and to its profitability. But a hundred percent, the the experience of YouTube is is what you and I are doing. It's I'm looking in a webcam, you're looking in a webcam. We're talking to each other, and the 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 difference is obviously on YouTube is you're not really engaging, right? right? It's that parasocial kind of not a ruse, but the the illusion of intimacy, right? where someone is talking at you and you're soaking it up and feeling like you're having an engaged conversation and you're connected to these people. And that's one of the reasons it's overtaken the entertainment industry because that's something that movies and TV don't do. Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as we said before we started, I said it's possible we could talk about this forever, but yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure everyone will want to listen forever. So exactly, so, yeah, we can. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to wrap it up, but I want to wrap it up with one sort of final question, which is, you know, are you? And this is this is where sort of like after watching the documentary, which again, like you know, I, there, I'm, I'm critical of some points in it, but overall, I mean, I think it's an excellent thing. It's totally worth watching. As I said, as I said from the beginning, I think it's, it's representing, you know, a variety of different perspectives and, and even in, in the way it's, it's, you know, it, it does not come across as like, you have a clear, you know, uh, purpose that you're getting at other than sort of explaining this phenomenon and sharing sort of, you know, the evolution of YouTube and all of the things that have, have come from that. Um, but I do wonder, do you, do you worry about, or do you fear, or how do you respond to people who watch it and think that it is uh, like an attack on YouTube or an attack on the algorithm or an attack on 230 that, may use the the film as sort of like evidence for why these things are problems if that wasn't what you were going for with the documentary. I don't – I have not had in the year and change since we premiered it at Tribeca and then took it around the world. Um, I've done an enormous amount of Q&As and seminars and interactions with audiences. That has not been my experience, okay. thankfully. 
Um, in fact, like the one group demographic I thought was not going to like the movie at all, mm-hmm. which was kids, mm-hmm. like high, you know, middle to high to college, has been some of our most responsive audience. And I think it's because they take it at face value that it's not a blanket criticism. Right. And they know that there are issues. They're on platform. They know there's issues on the platform. And they know there's good things on the platform. And they know that there's a kind of a, a conundrum between where does, you know, th- what makes the platform so great and it's, you know, supposed or, or expected accountability to keep its end users safe. Where are those lines? Um, and that it's thorny and it's going to take work to figure out how to un- untangle that stuff. And I got to tell you, Mike, it's been really invigorating for me because you are always going to have people who misunderstand sure. what you're doing, no matter how balanced you try to be, especially when you're dealing with thorny issues. And like, you know, I'm not like intentionally problematic, but I do enjoy telling stories that you could potentially take different sure. ways, but I'm not trying to be like, Hey, it's great. If you think it's, you know, all garbage or it's great. If you think it's all, it's like an evangelist. It, there is a full spectrum. And on deep web, I had all kinds of people who misunderstood it. I had, <laughs> I had a very famous podcaster who shall remain nameless who had me on and i realized about 15 minutes in that he got the movie totally wrong (laughs) and really thought i was making a a claim that i was absolutely not making at all and i was mortified right that was rare yeah i think you i mean at the risk of of setting his fans against i'm not sure he's the brightest guy on on the the, and he was at a such a a strict agenda i guess it's your fear about 230 that he just ignored everything right focused on his agenda I'm so sure, I, I'm, but I haven't like I've had more people argue with me about being um, too uh, too soft on 230. Way more. Okay. Um, I haven't really had anyone take the movie as a pro 230, like abolish 230 thing. Um, and I have thankfully mostly had people, the people I care about, um, who I think are really engaging with it, mm-hmm. like intelligently, um, have been much more responsive to the nuance of it. And in cool. fact, a lot of Google engineers have seen the movie because I've showed it in DC. I've showed it in San Francisco and really felt like it was making statements that they had, they felt were overdue and they didn't think it felt like an anti-Google movie or anything, but you know, to people who will watch it and think that it's a takedown. Um, I mean, it's a bummer because it's not what I set out to do, but it's impossible not to have that kind of collateral damage with a doc. Right. Um, and I'd rather do them than not do them. But no, it doesn't make me happy to think someone might see it and go, hey, let's show this in the classroom to show why the internet's evil. I can only tell you that it's been the opposite of what's happened in the classrooms so far. That's good. That's that's great to hear. I, I know, you know, again, like, I mean, you, you've been touring the movie for a while, but it is now just now sort of out on, on streaming. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. To, so we have to, yet to see what the real kind of, yeah, to see, exactly. see what That's, it is that will be. just because, yeah. you know, again, and, and again, it's unfair to compare it to, to the social dilemma. It's a very different style of documentary, but that one became like this sort of like, you know, tool that was used. And in fact, just like, but without, without spending time denigrating the mood, you know, someone yeah. else's documentary, that was clearly its agenda. Yes. I yes, mean, yeah. It's agenda was to do that. Yes. His agenda was to say, put this, put your devices down and go outside and touch grass. Like right. that was, they say it, they spend the last 10 minutes of the movie saying that over and over yes. and over again. <laughs> um, so it's, it's clearly a film with an yeah. agenda. I think we've really gone out of our way just to say, look, you know, the, there's a lot of benefit here. There's a lot of things we should be worried about here. There's no easy answers, right. which I think is an honest thing to say. And yes. I think it also pro- allows the, you know, the intelligent world out there 
whether you're a technologist or a, a an antitrust lawyer or someone who's an engineer building you know new technologies to come up with your own damn decision about how you <laughs> right. want to come at this stuff right <laughs> so. yeah no and 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 so it it is i i think you're exactly right i'm just i as you know i am very very sensitive to how how these things play yeah. out and and i had seen i will tell you though yeah. mike it does give me a platform to talk about my thoughts on 230 with very intelligent people like i'll be going to berkeley later this month or early September, and we'll be doing a summit, you know, with Hani Farid, with right. ethics and legal people. And it's it's allowing us to to get into the weeds with, I think, the people that matter. Yeah. And even debating, like Carrie Goldberg and I did a Q&A at the New York screening nice. uh, just two weeks ago, where we got to debate these issues. And so, you know, they do become a way for us to discuss this stuff um, in a more granular way beyond the life of the doc. Um, but I know that doesn't, you know, that doesn't solve your your concern. Um, but I do sit at home at night, and I guess, you know, and I guess this is maybe look, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> I just should not do these things. But I sit, you know, sit awake at night and go, well, no one's talking about this stuff at all in a sort of big pop culture, public facing way. So it's got to be better to talk about them than yeah. not. No, I, I, I probably there's a little. There's a little monkey's paw risk. There. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, Look, I don't. I'm not. All, I'm not all knowing. I could be wrong. But that's my. That is what what incentivizes me. Yeah. No. 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 I, so. I, and I, I think it's good. And I think it, it really does. It really does a lovely job. I mean, it's an excellent documentary. You know what you're doing, obviously, in in making documentaries, and and it, it really tells the story of of YouTube from from sort of early days um, to you know to approximately now. And it's 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 absolutely worth watching and a very very interesting documentary and touches on all of these different things. So I you know I think it's great. It's great that you made it. I remember, by the way, that we first spoke about this documentary, I think it's two years ago now, where I invited yeah, you on the podcast then. And you said, wait, yeah. wait till you see it before you, <laughs> you decide you might not like it. And I said, well, yeah. that'll be fun either way. <laughs> exactly. I, I remember that conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, <laughs> it's finally come full circle. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that it is now out and available on streaming. And I'm glad that you were able to take the time to 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 come on the podcast and have this discussion no i appreciate being here and yeah. uh it was as fun as i expected it to be uh so thank you and uh thanks to everyone else for listening as well and uh we'll be back next week so thanks again alex great thanks mike if we don't stand up to them someone will get to grab a shovel and dig up the tap if we don't stand up to them someone will get to grab a shovel and dig up the tap 